Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller, the founder of the Miller Law Group and director of the Center for Understanding in Conflict. I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Dr. Joanne Pedro Carroll. She's a clinical psychologist and an internationally recognized expert on parenting and divorce. And she was president of psychology at the University of Rochester for 25 years. She serves as an advisor and consultant to universities, schools, court system, health agencies, and even Sesame Street, addressing matters related to parenting, separation, divorce, resilience, and mental health. Joanne is the founder of the of award-winning programs for children and parents that benefit children worldwide. And she's the author of Putting Children First, Proven Parenting Strategies for Helping Children Thrive Through the Divorce, which translates three decades of research and clinical experience into a compilation of clinically proven approaches to help children and adults adapt to family changes with a resilience and healthy adjustment. Welcome, Joanne. Pedro Carroll, it's a pleasure to have you today. Thank you, Catherine. I'm delighted to be here. And, you know, when I heard you say what your mission is about helping people come through what we know is a stressful process with dignity and resilience. I sure share that mission. So thank you for having me. Well, I kind of knew that when I asked you to be a guest on the show because, I, you know, it's really my strong belief and my experience professionally and personally that it's possible and certainly desirable to do that. And sometimes I think people lose that in the pain and the anguish and the fear that comes around big transitions and divorce is certainly one of those. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think one of the biggest challenges for adults going through all those changes is managing the emotions. You know, the fear can be pretty intense, so many fears of the unknown, and the grief and managing the losses that that often accompany a breakup. So it's one of the tallest tasks most challenging tasks, how to manage those emotions, and particularly when children are involved how to keep their needs a top priority. Yeah, I think that's really accurate. I just had a client come in recently, and she really, the only area where she really wept was around hurting her kids. And this, you know, this desire that we all have to protect our children from, you know, hurts on the playground and hurts in the, you know, in the schoolyard and all of that sort of stuff. And now we're going to tell them something that's going to cause them tremendous pain and difficulty. And I think there's a lot of fear that it's going to ruin their lives. And and I think we should talk a little bit about that today. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the things that is so clear from research over the past several decades is that, you know, certainly divorce and separation have risks for children, but it doesn't automatically or inevitably have to result in long-term problems for them. In fact, I think one of the most fruitful areas of research that we really need to focus on as professionals is all of the things that we know help children and parents come through it with resilience, healthy adjustment. And one of the things that's very clear is that it's about one-third of children who do go on to have long-term problems. 
So that means about two-thirds after a period of adjustment are doing very well, and we should never overlook that because embedded in that statistic is all of the things that parents probably worked very hard to do so that their children were on that path of resilience. Well, I know that as human beings, we're hardwired to focus on the negative. And so I'm sure, yes. you know, I'm sure that there are lots of our listeners out there going, yeah, one third don't do well. So maybe you could help us, Dr. Pedro Carroll, figure out the difference between what can parents do to ensure that their kids are in the two third who thrive. That's right. And that's really what my book is all about, Catherine. All of those things that, that make a, a difference in in children's lives over time. The two most powerful predictive factors are the extent to which parents can contain their conflict so the children aren't caught in the middle of it. It's the worst possible place for a young person to be. And, you know, if we think about it, you know, what children want most, if their parents aren't going to be together, they want them to at least be civil to each other so that they can love both of them and not get pulled into being caught in the middle of conflict. It's toxic for children. And it's very clear that when children are exposed to ongoing conflict that's unresolved, it has an impact. It has consequences for their psychological well-being, certainly, for their relationships, but also for their health. It's been shown that when children are exposed to you know, a lot of animosity and conflict that doesn't get resolved, that they're three times more likely to have a lot of different illnesses. That's pretty sobering. It is. One thing that two parents can do is to reduce conflict. Is that something that one parent can do, even if the other parent is not so inclined? Absolutely. And that's a great point to bring up. I often say, you know, we have a, as many jurisdictions do, we have a parent education education program here that I helped to develop. And one of the messages we give to parents is even if your former partner is not cooperative in containing that conflict, even if you take the high road, it makes a difference for children. And there's research to show that there has an impact on how children will do. So being able to not engage, not allow that person to stay connected to you through conflict, press those buttons or or the triggers that, you know, often former partners know so well. Oh, that is so true. Uh, it's a little like Michelle Obama said, I loved her quote, you know, if the other person is going low, you go high. It does make a difference and it can make a difference for children, certainly. And you know, Dr. Joanne Pedro Carroll, I think that it is People often feel that taking the high road makes them vulnerable. Nice guys finish last, yeah. you know, all those kinds of sayings. And I think it's actually quite the opposite, especially when divorce is involved and when there are children. What do you think? Oh, I think that's absolutely true. You know, sometimes we mix up anger, aggressiveness, hostility, negativity with strength. In fact, it's toxic. It's toxic for the person who's walking around doing that. It's certainly harmful for children. You know, there's an old quote, I think it goes back to Buddha, that says, he or she who hangs on to anger and, and hostility is like someone holding a hot coal with the intention of throwing it. It's that person holding it that gets hurt. 
Yeah, there's a, so, a similar saying that holding on to a resentment is like swallowing rat poison and hoping that the rat will die, which I also <laughs> really like. True. But I think that's so true. You're talking about the impact on the person who holds that resentment and how poisonous it is for them. And that's the person who's really hurt by it, not the person who's the object of it. Absolutely. And you know, Catherine, when I was doing research for uh, my book, one of the things I came across was research on forgiveness. And the studies were very interesting because it showed that particularly when it came to situations of divorce, separation, marital conflict, it affected people who hung on to the resentment. It affected their parenting in very negative ways. And those who were in a category of being able to move forward with forgiveness doesn't mean you forget what's happened, but that you're able to move on and you don't even have to tell the person you're forgiven them. But yeah. those people who were in that category found that they had more peace of mind, less anxiety, they were sleeping better, and their parenting was more positive. Pretty powerful. Certainly is. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm talking today with Dr. Joanne Pedro Carroll on WVOX 1460 AM and on WVOX.com. We're also available as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com, and also on iTunes. And we're talking today about children and divorce and how to help, how parents can help them survive and thrive after divorce. And Dr. Pedro Carroll, one thing that you said, that parents can do to ensure that their kids are in the two-thirds who thrive post-divorce is to be civil to each other and contain the conflict. What's another thing that can be helpful in that regard? Yes, thank you for bringing that up. I did say there were two powerful predictive <laughs> factors that affected how children do over time. The other one is the quality of parenting that children receive, and that comes down to, I know that's a broad category, but it's what I call the two pillars of effective parenting, that there's both warmth, communication, sensitivity, empathy for children's feelings. At the same time, there's also clear limits and structure and expectations for children's behavior. Because one of the things that can happen is either because of competition between parents or sometimes guilt or just because it's pretty, it takes more energy to set limits. And sometimes children's behavior may just go either unnoticed or unchecked. And particularly for adolescents, they still need two parents who are monitoring their whereabouts, who are keeping track, who are what I call holding up that poor scaffolding for children to thrive and grow. Uh, so quality of parenting makes a huge difference, and also the quality of the relationship between the children and both parents. And these are tied together with conflict because one of the things we know, again, from some very good research, is that when there is a lot of conflict that's unresolved between parents, it has a direct impact both on children's adjustment but also on the quality of parenting. And it really makes sense because if we're in a, a lot of turmoil, if we're really going through a stressful time, a lot of conflict, you don't have the energy to parent in the way that you might really want to do with the empathy and being present and being able to set limits when needed. 
You know, I think that's one of the biggest challenge about litigation, divorce litigation, because it's so hijacking for people that there's very little emotional energy left to parent after dealing with the fear and the sort of hijacking of one's life that litigation can represent and the experience can be. And so I think that the, you know, and I'm very biased in this direction, that keeping families out of court is really crucial for the for survival of the children in a, in a healthy way. What do you think? Catherine, I agree. I agree so completely with that. You know, I've been doing this work for over 30 years now. So I've seen the long-term trajectory of what can happen when parents decide, you know, to take an approach, whether through collaborative law, through mediation, or conversely, through a much more acrimonious process like litigation. And it does take such a toll on everybody. Emotionally, I mean, if we think about all of the stress involved, and then you're still expected to parent with that person, even after the court ends. It's very, very challenging. Dr. Pedro Carroll, I have a question about living arrangements. You know, lots of times people come into the divorce process and they really want to maintain a sense of continuity and stability for their kids. And oftentimes this focus is very much on the marital residence, on the home that they've been living in. And I've gotten a lot of questions recently about the bird nesting arrangement where the children stay in the home and the parents go back and forth. Do you have an opinion about that arrangement? I do. I do. I I refer to it in my book as a solution that can work short term. It's really considered to be a temporary solution, particularly with very young children while transitions are happening, while parents are setting up a new residence, perhaps. But it's important to be mindful that a bird, I should probably describe what a bird nest arrangement is. That means that the children would stay in the family home and it's the parents who would be moving back and forth, you know, nesting like birds with their babies in the nest. The risks with it are... But when people are are separating, the emotional challenge is how do you disengage from your former partner in a way that helps you heal, helps you move forward? And to see each other frequently, particularly if it was not a mutual decision to divorce, can really be pretty painful for the person who doesn't want it. There's also in four out of five divorces are not mutual. So it's just important to be aware that on the short term, it it could work. Long term, you know, you could also get into conflict over who left the dirty dishes, who left notes from their new partner, you know, things like that. So, Absolutely. uh, There are certainly challenges with it. Yeah. Advantages and disadvantages, certainly. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Joanne Pedro Carroll about working together as parents to raise successful children after divorce. This is 1460 WVOX and WVOX.com, alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 5.30. And Dr. Pedro Carroll, can you give our listeners your contact information in case they're interested in your book or learning more about your practice? Oh, sure. They can go to my website, which is www.pedrocarroll.com. 
It's P-E-D-R-O hyphen Carol, C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot com. And the book is Putting Children First, Proven Parenting Strategies for Helping Children Thrive Through Divorce. And there will also be a link to your website on our website, westchesterfamilylaw.com, with this podcast. And let me ask you another question, Dr. Pedro Carroll. What do you think, do you have an opinion as to what the best parenting schedule is or what are pieces of a, a really good parenting schedule? How will parents know what a good parenting schedule is? Mm, really important question. I think the best parenting schedule is based on children's ages and family circumstances. And one of the things that is very clear is that when parents can work together, if it's possible for them to cooperate, communicate, very often shared residents can work well. When it doesn't work well is when, of course, when parents are in a lot of conflict. And then what happens is during transitions, children are exposed to maybe even silent hostility or just open anger and resentment. So we have to be careful about a one-size-fits-all approach. But there are you know, different ways of of managing it when when parents are in a lot of conflict. Sometimes parallel parenting is more effective, even transitions where they are still respectful to each other, hopefully, but perhaps not having a lot of communication in between. Again, my book has sample schedules for children of different ages. With young children, if both parents are responsible parents, it's very helpful for young children to have frequent contact with both parents. And you know, Catherine, one of the things I often emphasize to parents when I'm working with them to develop their um, parenting plan and schedules for their children is to keep in mind that it really needs to be a parenting plan to last a lifetime for the child. And by that, I mean that you wouldn't want to decide when your child is two what the schedule is going to be when they're 16. So it's so helpful when parents can agree they're going to review the schedule. They're going to test different ones out over time as the child grows and their needs change and agree that they may need to make some changes over time. I often say you would not buy a car without test driving it. So important to test out different schedules. With older children, I often suggest to parents that they test out a schedule maybe for two or three weeks and have input from their children about how it's working. And then we get back together to modify or tweak it. You know, that really raises an interesting question, is how involved do you think that children should be in devolve, in uh, creating the parenting plan that they're a part of? I mean, I imagine it depends on whether or not they're 2 or 12 or 15. But do you have an opinion about that? Because, you know, people think, oh, this is something that we should just do whatever they want to do, which I don't think is great. But they, then they also feel like, well, we're just going to just impose it. And if the kids don't want, the 16-year-olds don't want to leave, then, you know, mom should stand at the kitchen door with a shotgun and make them go. So, like, what do you think is the, the best way to think about the children's opinion on the parenting plan? I call it, I, I think it's very important to have input from children. I call it giving them a voice without burdening them with the choice. 
ultimately, the decision needs to be made by the parents. At the same time, I think there should be input from children, well, particularly older children, about different options and how it's working for them. So it's not burdening children with saying, okay, you decide when you want to go see your dad or your mom, because that puts them smack in the middle again, having to choose between a parent. Not a good place for any child to be. Right, that is. But if they can have some input about it, I think that's very helpful. And you know, the other thing is, at this point, I've worked with thousands of children in different countries and in the U.S., and one of the things that they feel so often is, wait a minute, we didn't have any control over this. We didn't get a vote in this decision for parents to, to separate. And yet, so many of the changes fall on us. So if they could have input, you know, about some of the things, it can, it can give them at least some aspect of control over what's happening in their life. I think that's one of the great benefits of this child specialist role in the collaborative divorce process that we talked about before we started the show that you also do. Can you talk a little bit about how the child specialist works in order to bring the child's voice in? Absolutely. When I'm working in the collaborative process, attorneys often invite me to be part of the team so that I can help to guide uh, decision-making about children, share information with parents, much like we're talking about today, about how they can go about handling things that's really going to foster better outcomes for themselves and their children. And I work very closely with parents to help them understand different schedules, different plans that would meet children's needs at different ages, and also work with them about how they're going to be able to change their relationship from that of former lovers, husband and wife, to, you know, really working together in a respectful way in the business of raising their children and doing that in the best way possible. And you also give them individual advice with regard to these particular children, which is quite different than what we're talking about today, which is more of generalities. Isn't that right? Oh, exactly. Yes. I also meet with their children, get their perspective on things, because you know, so often there's so much that children feel but seldom tell their parents for a lot, for a variety of reasons. They don't want to add more conflict. They don't want to hurt a parent's feelings. They may not feel safe expressing what they really fear or feel. So it's very helpful for me to meet with them individually and then be able to share some feedback to parents without divulging children's confidentiality, but to help guide parents about their children's needs and what their children might be worrying about. I think there's some fear that parents have that somehow you're going to tell them or you're going to ask them, their kids, or, you know, who do they want to live with, mommy or daddy, or something like that. And that's not my experience at all. And my experience of working with child specialists is that the information and the sensitivity that the child specialist brings to the family about the needs of the children is really important information. It's critical information, Catherine, because one of the things we know that the universal reaction of children, and even cross-culturally, their universal worry is, what's going to happen to me? How are all these family changes going to affect me? 
and they may not be expressing that to their parents. And it may take the form of, you know, I'm really worried I'm not going to be able to go to college. I don't know if there's going to be money to help support me. Who's going to help me with those decisions? All the way down to young children. I've heard of young child, you know, I'm really afraid Santa's not going to be able to come, you know, if I'm in two homes now. Those are things that children can get reassurance about and support, but only if we know that that's what they're feeling. So it can be a very helpful part of the process when a child specialist is involved on the collaborative team. I wanted to add another in my view, really important support that a child specialist can help parents with. And that's even, how do you tell your children? How do you prepare children for the changes? How do you tell them with age in an age-appropriate way about the fact that you're going to be getting a divorce or separating? I think that's really and valuable for that parents. happens really sets the tone for how things unfold over time. I think that's very important. It's something that a lot of parents really worry about. We're just about out of time, but I wanted to thank you so much, Dr. Joanne Pedro Carroll, for taking the time to be with us on Dialogue on Divorce today. Catherine, thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity. This is a very hard process for people to go through, but I, I think we both share the, the view that, you know, there's hope and healing and opportunities for a new beginning and I wish everyone all the best. Thank you for having me on today. Thank you.